And welcome back for another episode of the Just Checking In podcast. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by Vent, a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas, and start conversations. I'm your host, as always, Freddie Cocker. As always, in each pod, I check in with a special guest. We have a natter about all things mental health, as well as anything and everything else they are passionate about. If it helps that person with their mental health, we'll discuss it. My special guest for this episode, listeners, is an absolute top lad and someone who, like me, is channeling creativity into a passion he loves. His name is Kyle Hawker. Kyle is the founder of Acrylics by Kyle, where he paints for pleasure as well as commissions pieces for anyone who wants a print. He's also a close friend of Friend of the Pod and previous Just Checking In podcast Dan Agnew, as well as a fellow EFL fan like me, so I had to get him on. We'll only discuss our loves for Bristol City and Huddersfield Town, respectively, very briefly. Don't worry. Following your dreams, creativity, anxiety, depression, overthinking, rumination and challenging gender stereotypes are all on the menu. This is how our check-in went. Kyle, welcome to the Just Checking In pod, bro. Thanks so much for coming on. First off, how are you? I've heard you just moved into a new gaff. Yeah, man. That's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. It's been a long time coming, hasn't it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, moved into the new gaff. Been about two weeks now, so just trying to settle in getting the place up together. Like I said, I'm in the new office space at the moment, which is actually owned by Sarah. She's claiming this room. I've been excluded to working in the dining room, uh, in the kitchen, so, <laughs> but it is what it is. Getting there slowly but surely. Going to uh, head down to B&Q later, get some paint, start actually painting the walls, so much kind of gas for that, you know? <laughs> How you been keeping? Yeah, I'm good, bro. Was the last time I saw you the hybrids night we went to in London? Yeah, it was. And that was the last time. Yeah, that was the last time I was, went to London, to be honest. What was that? That was January. Not this year, year before. So that was almost two years ago. That's actually crazy. That actually seems like such a long time ago. And that was a good night as well, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually can't believe that's two years ago. It's mad, isn't it? Yeah, hybrid minds, I should say, not hybrid nights. I got that bit wrong. Do you want to talk about a little bit, just briefly, because I know you want bragging rights because you beat us. I'm a Huddersfield Town fan. You're a Bristol City fan. Do you want to just get that bragging rights over with? Well, I mean, yeah, we spanked you 2-1. So, I mean, and the season before, we spanked you 5-1. So, I mean, <laughs> to be honest, I thought we were going to lose. I thought we were going to lose this season. And we, we were 1-0 down till what was it, the 75th minute or 80th minute? And then, bam, two goals. <laughs> yeah, mate, I was gassed. We're playing a derby today, but I reckon we're going to lose. So they've just sat their manager, haven't they? So, they got Rooney and whoever else is in charge. I can't remember now. Rosinha. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, you know, when they sack a manager, yeah, we'll probably lose today. And we've had a few players out with COVID as well. So we're working on the skeleton team at the moment. We've got the football chat out of the way. I'm buzzing to get into this pod with you. So shall we just get started? Yeah, man, let's do this. I've been looking forward to it. Let's kick off the pod by talking about acrylics by Kyle, mate. Before we talk about how you started this, tell me how you got into drawing creatively and when you discovered you had this talent. I think it stems from my parents, you know, like my old man, if ever you met him or looked at him, you, you wouldn't expect him to be good at art because he's quite a, like a heavy biker. He looks quite intimidating type guy, but he was always quite good at art. And I think it's kind of passed down from there. I used to enjoy drawing and painting and whatnot. But I think what really got me into it was primary school. I used to have a mate um, when I was about 10 or, or whatever it was. He used to draw a lot, do a lot of painting and drawing. And he was better than me. So I used to get quite jealous, you know. <laughs> 
So I always used to try and one up on him. Like he'd come in and he'd show me this drawing. I'm like, oh no, I would have been better than that. But I could never match it. But I think that's what got me into drawing. I used to draw quite a lot. I never used to paint when I was young. I used to, I used to just draw sketches and things like that. But yeah, I guess it stemmed from my dad being good at art and uh, just kind of passed on down through. But I haven't drew or painted in years. It's only started this year that I kickstarted it again, only because of lockdown. It's just someone to do to pass the time. So yeah, I think that's where it stemmed from. And when you were younger, did you watch any art shows to get inspired, like Smart with Kirsten and Mark, God rest his soul, or maybe Art Attack with the absolute boy, Neil Buchanan? And, and if so, what impact did they have on you and your love for drawing and painting? Do you know what? I didn't watch it too much. Art Attack, I did catch here and there with Neil Buchanan because at the end of the show, it used to make that massive piece of art out of whatever he could get his hands on. Like That, that was a madness. Like, I did rate that. That was really good. But in terms of that inspiring me, I don't think it had much influence on me. Like I said, I didn't really watch it too much, to be honest. It was only here and there if it was on TV, and I'd be like, yeah, I'll watch that. But I tell you what I have been watching recently on BBC4 with Bob Ross. I can't remember the name of it, but it's on at half seven most weeknights. And I tell you what, mate, that's great. It's half hour, and he does this mad painting in half hour. And just the way that he talks, man, it's just, oh, it's lovely to hear. It's uh, relaxing. (laughs) And what was the point where you started doing this a bit more and had the realisation that actually maybe you could make this more than a hobby and turn it into a bit of side hustle? And did it take you a while for that confidence to build? So like I said, it was only through lockdown where it kind of kick-started it again because obviously, as you know, the first lockdown, you're bound to your house. You couldn't do anything. So to kind of bide my time and tackle my boredom, I thought, oh, do you know what? I'm just going to buy some paints, bought canvas, bought an easel. I just started, but yeah, and initially it was just a one-off of what I just crack on do one painting and then I kind of got into the swing of it and continued doing more. And I was getting a lot of positivity through Instagram and that where, where we started uploading them, so it kind of spurred me on and gave me more confidence. In terms of initial confidence, I always knew I was pretty good at art. Like I said, I've always been all right at it throughout my life, but yeah, since 16, well, I've done art GCSE, obviously finished UCSEs at 16, so that's when I stopped doing it and I, I never picked up a pencil or paintbrush or anything since. So, I mean, I went 10 years about even thinking about drawing or painting again. And if it weren't for lockdown, I probably wouldn't have picked it back up because it's very time consuming as well. And what I've noticed is as we've come out of lockdown and started resuming normal normality again, there's less time for me to do this. I need to put in a lot of time for this because I can't just spend half hour here or there. It's like hours at a time. So it's more difficult now. Well, obviously, we are back in another lockdown now, but... I'm focusing on the new house at the moment, so I'm not actually able to do any more painting currently. Yeah, I've, I've always been pretty confident in my own ability to draw and paint. And do I see it kind of progressing further? I don't know. I'll take as it comes. Do you know what I mean? It was just something just to relieve the boredom initially. Do I see it becoming something in the future? Just see how it goes, I guess. It was never intended for that. And what effect does painting and drawing have on your mental health? Is it quite cathartic? Is it therapeutic? A bit of escapism? You know, what can you tell me here? I mean, it's exactly that. It's, it's escapism because, as you know, lockdown wasn't great for people's mental health, including my own. And I'm sure that applies to everybody. So actually, when I get into painting, time flies. It goes instantly. I'll crack on, I'll start, and four hours will go by, and it feels like it's been half hour, hour. And in that time, I don't think about anything else because I'm concentrating on the detail I'm putting in. I'll put some music on, so I'm kind of in a relaxed state. And yeah, mate, you're just kind of lose yourself for four hours. And like I said, it's like a time hole. You just come out of it and four hours gone, the whole evening's gone or whatever. So it's good to take your mind off or my mind off the current situation that we're in, anything that is stressing me out, whether it be work or, or anything else. 
it was good to just yeah crack on with that and I think it definitely had a positive impact on mental health except from the times where it would go wrong and I made mistakes and that stressed me out but <laughs> that's it just talk me through the creative process now do you have to be in a particular mindset to draw and where do you get your inspiration from the actual places and landscapes that you pick to paint so I guess where I get my inspiration from, so a couple of photos, I like to paint l- landscapes. I'm not one to paint portraits. One, I'm no good at painting portraits, but I like to paint landscapes which are vibrant in colour. So some of them, initially when I started, I found a photo on Google, which I just painted that because I like the look of it. And then I needed to be more creative. I need to create my own art as opposed to something that's already out there. So then on my travels, obviously I went to L.A., I painted the Ferris wheel on Santa Monica Pier, Glastonbury as well, the Ribbon Tower, because I had a great photo of that, which looked really good. So I painted that. When I went traveling, uh, I went traveling through Europe and drove through Slovenia and stopped off at Lake Bled as well. And I got a pretty good photo. And then, yeah, my most recent one, obviously being from Bristol, I thought it'd be rude not to paint the suspension bridge. So admittedly, it was a photo from Google that I took. Yes, and I have a good photo myself, but I thought... Yeah, I paint that and I thought that was a pretty good piece and that's actually sitting in my house now in the hallway. So that's the only one I've put up. I didn't actually want to put up many of our paintings in the house, to be honest. But yeah, the inspiration comes from landscapes. Yeah, something that's visually pleasing to the eye. Just tell me a bit more about the reaction that you've got from doing acrylics by Carl. You know, tell me about the kind of positive feedback or comments that you've had. Have they given you a confidence or self-esteem boost to do more of it and put more of your passion into it? Yeah, definitely. Like like I said, I mean, initially when I started off, when I'd done that first painting, I had no kind of aspiration to continue. I thought I was just going to be a one piece just to pass the time. And for the first piece, I was uploading progression steps through Instagram on my main account. And because I don't think a lot of people knew I could paint or, or draw unless they knew me from early on. Yeah, I was getting a lot of positivity. And I think a lot of people were kind of shocked. So that spurred me on, definitely. Yeah, it, it's quite good when people are praising the work that you put in. So when I finished that first piece, yeah, I thought, well, I'll buy some more canvases and I'll continue. And I even had a couple of people even say, look, man, I'm, I'm interested. How much will you sell this for? But I haven't actually sold any of my pieces yet because the most awkward thing is trying to uh, attribute a price to a piece of work. Do you know what I mean? I've never sold art before. How much do I sell it to, especially if it's a friend? I don't want to hustle them. Do you know what I mean? I want to sort them out some sort of mates rate still. But at the same time, yeah, I, I've got to sell it for a value which... I put the effort in for us. So yeah, it's a difficult one. Yeah, I haven't sold anything, but I was thinking of potentially doing making prints and selling them. But to be honest with you, I haven't really done it much research into that yet. Like I said, my primary focus at the moment is the new house. So it's kind of been put on the back burner a little bit at the moment. And doing painting and now turning it into a side hustle and one we hope that will take off a little bit more after this pod, all being well. What has it taught you about yourself, do you think? God, I don't know. Just patience, man, and knowing that there's something there which I can use as a tool to take my mind off things, which is good, man, especially when I'm bored, because boredom's not great, is it, when you're just sat around, you don't know what to do with yourself. So it's good, and it's brought out a creative streak in me, because it's not just painting now. I've been considering getting into kind of some woodwork as well. I've never done anything with wood before. So, yeah, I potentially want to make a table for the dining room. Have you seen those resin tables that people have made? Well, they'll attach electrodes to the table and it'll send through an electrical shock through the table and then they fill the gaps in with uh, resin. Sounds mad, but I'd, I'd love to try something like that. 
probably go completely tits up first time, but <laughs> that's the part and parcel of uh, creating something new, right? So trial and error. So yeah, I guess it spurred me on to think about new things, doing what, what can I make next, which I guess a year ago, I, I wasn't creative at all, wasn't thinking about making anything or producing anything at all. I was just, yeah, I was comfortable in the life I was living, do you know what I mean? So I guess it's given me a new streak, a new kind of vision in life, I guess. And if there's anyone listening to this pod, particularly men and boys who might feel nervous about pursuing the creativity they have for painting, drawing or art in general, what message or advice would you give them from your experience, mate? I mean, just crack on, man. Just do whatever you feel is happy. Do you know what I mean? Like you shouldn't let anybody tell you otherwise. If you enjoy painting or if you enjoy sewing or if you enjoy whatever you enjoy, do you know what I mean? Like a a lot of boys like football. I, I love football. But if you enjoy painting, do it, man. If it's something that brings you joy and makes you happy, man, do it. Like, There's no reason why you shouldn't let anybody tell you not to do it. If people do, then you just kind of turn the fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) And if anyone wants to find out more about Acrylics by Kyle or commission you for a print, mate, where can they find you and get in touch? So I set up a new Instagram account called Acrylics by Kyle. Basically, it's not kind of, well, it is a business account, but I've not used it to try and sell anything yet. Initially, it's just set up to kind of create a portfolio. So everything's in one place. And I've kind of connected with new people, actually. I met this uh, person from Bristol, actually, ironically. And yeah, we were chatting stuff. So yeah, we kind of met new people through it. And it's interesting because, do you know what I mean? Like a year ago, I wasn't having conversations with people about art and creativity. And now it's, yeah, I, I do have these conversations. So it's, it's like I said, it's a, it's a new avenue in life for me. We've talked about acrylics by Kyle. Let's go a bit deeper and talk about your own journey, mate. So firstly, I ask all my guests this. Tell me about your early life, your teenage years in Bristol, and whether looking back, were there any early mental health experiences you can pinpoint? Who's the Kyle we meet here? Yeah, so me, I guess, obviously, born and raised in Bristol, or uh, kind of raised in an arguably relatively rough area. So I guess that's played a part on, on me and sculptured who I am a little bit this day. I probably started experiencing mental health problems from, I'd say about 14, 15. I think that's when I started, yeah, having negative thoughts start entering my mind, I guess, for whatever reason. Aside from that, yeah, I can't really remember too much from when I was younger. Do you know what I mean? You're, you're a little kid. I was too busy being a, a little rascal, I think, when I was younger. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I think towards the end of school, that's when things started changing mentally for me. When we spoke off air, mate, my next question was going to be that you were a bit of a rascal growing up when you were sort of eight, nine, ten years old. You like to push some boundaries like any kid does and get up to mischief. There was one game you played with your mates which had a fun story behind it. Can you tell me that? Yeah, yeah so like being young... Rolling around the streets of Bristol. <laughs> we did cause a bit of havoc here and there. Nothing, nothing major. But yeah, we used to play this game. I used to say to our mum, oh, mum, super old mates. Oh, that's fine. Make sure you're in by nine or whatever. I'm like, yeah, yeah, cool, that's cool. <laughs> and basically, there was a school. I didn't go to this school, but a lot of my mates who I lived near went to this school. And we used to play manhunts. We used to play manhunt. There'd be literally be like 20 heads. There'd be so many people. It was, it was mad. Like everybody on the street would be playing. We set these three block, like it was a three block radius and you, you play Manhunt. So basically it's 10, 10 per team, one team's got to catch the other. And, but one of the locations was the school. So we trespass in the school, we get into the school, we jump up on the roofs and that was the fun side of it. I mean, literally putting your life at risk as well because these rooftops were high, but being a young little, little rascal, you were just loving it. It was the adrenaline jumping across rooftops. 
yeah, this one time, obviously, somebody called the police, obviously, because we were trespassing, technically breaking the law, which wasn't, which wasn't great. <laughs> and my mate's house, it was attached to the back of the, to the back of the school. There's about two fire engines that turned up whilst we're on the, whilst we're on the roof. So we see them pull up. I'm like, oh shit, we gotta go. So like we were jumping along these roofs. We jumped onto this brick wall. You ran along the wall, and then you could jump into my mate's back garden. So that was kind of our, our route out. We kind of went up into his into his room, and you could see out the back window, and you could see all these guys and fire like all these firemen just on this roof with flashlights trying to find us. So uh, yeah, that was. Uh, Close call, I guess, but that was the extent of the the mischief I would get up to. Nothing, nothing too serious, just silly things like that. But it was good times, man. I enjoyed it <laughs> when I was younger. Obviously, I've grown out of that now. <laughs> In school, you said to me you liked to muck about, but you were naturally quite academic. Looking back, do you feel quite lucky you had that academic ability and what it led you to achieve? Do you know what I'd say? I'd say I created my own luck, man. I mean, I was pretty academic at school, but I wouldn't say it came naturally. I created my own luck, man. I put the graft in. And I always have done, man, like all throughout my life. That's one trait that I, I do hold myself to is I've got a strong work ethic, man. And uh, if I want to achieve something, I, I will set out and try to achieve it. And if I don't achieve it, man, it, it hurts me. Do you know what I mean? It does kill me inside. And maybe I do put a lot, a bit too much pressure on myself sometimes. Yeah, I was academic in school, but I put the work in, man, as, as and where I needed to. So, yeah, it wasn't like I, I didn't do anything. I just breezed through school and just come out with good grades for, for nothing. Yeah, I, I did put the work in. And in school, I didn't tell people that I did put the work in because, I don't know, you don't want people thinking, you know, like that like connotation of, oh, man, you're, you're a nerd or whatever like that. But put the work in. And, um, yeah, it, it paid off. It paid dividends in the end in school. When you got to year 10, this was the point when you realised you were quite good at science and you wanted to go down that career path. Can you tell me about the Kyle we meet here? Did you have that idealism that a lot of kids have about their careers when they pick a path? Yeah, so basically, like I, I never had no interest in science whatsoever growing up. Never really appealed to me. I didn't even think about it, to be honest. But it wasn't until year 10 when um, I chose my triple sciences lessons. I was pretty good at them. Like Naturally, I was quite good at them. And I started enjoying it. I was very interested in it. So... It was kind of at that point. Prior to that, I always wanted to be an architect. Basically, I think because I was good at drawing, I enjoyed drawing. I thought oh, I'll try and become an architect. But then, yeah, yeah, I got to year 10, started enjoying science. And I thought, yeah, do you know what? Why not? Let's, uh, let's try and follow this through. And yeah, I, I come out of good grades in all my sciences. So yeah, that's kind of where my love, I wouldn't say it's a love, <laughs> but like my interest in science kind of stemmed from. You did pretty well at GCSEs, but it was sixth form where you began to struggle academically and with your mental health. Now, everyone I speak to found sixth form harder than a university degree when it came to their mental health and studies generally, and that really steep jump. If you could, just tell me about this period of your life and why you perhaps struggled. Oh, mate, sixth form was dead. I literally hated sixth form. It was just so whack, honestly. Not only was it a struggle academically, just... The dynamics of, like, I love school, man. I was one of those people who loved school. I got on with a lot of people. I had a good group of friends. It was a good time. I was having a good time. And then dynamics changed going from school to sixth form. Obviously, a lot of my mates leaving. Obviously, people still stay and stuff, but the dynamics changed. It got a lot more difficult. And it's just an awkward age as well. For instance, for example, I think I got an A or an A star in chemistry, GCSE. I remember my first A-levels exam. Oh, yeah, I got my exam paperwork back. And I just seen an E on it. I was like, an E? I was like, you mad? I was like, what's happened? Like, what the fuck has happened? I was in complete shock. I was like, how have I gone from like A star down to an E? And I thought I'd done all right. I literally, I come out like, I was like, yeah, geez, I thought I'd done all right. But clearly not. 
and it was my other exams as well. I went from like A's, A stars down to like C's and D's and E's. And I was like, Jesus. And what made it hard is obviously you have to retake those exams and you have those exams on top of your January exams. So you're taking all your retakes on top of it. And it's just, it was overwhelming for me at the time because they put so much pressure on you saying you need AA and whatever to get into university you want to, want to get into. So it was just horrific. And not only that, yeah, you're at that awkward age where... Like 16, 17, your mates are starting to go out. Like they're using their fake IDs going out and I'm stuck at home. I started becoming a bit more disconnected with people around that time. For my mental health, it was a terrible period, man. I had self-esteem issues as well going through those years. And that definitely 100% affected my mental health. Those two years, I just hated it, man. I really did hate it. I couldn't stand those two years. And it just had a real bad impact on my mental health. As you were struggling with your mental health from an academic perspective, your mental health generally began to deteriorate quite rapidly in different ways. If you could, and go into as little or as much detail as you want, just tell me about the impact that this period of your life had on your mental health towards the end of sixth form. You're broke when you're young as well. You're that age, you want to do all this stuff. And I mean, I was working 11 hours a week at mother care, believe it or not. <laughs> so you're broke, I want to do all this stuff. And yeah, like I said, a major thing was self-esteem. Yeah, I had very low confidence, not in just academia, but it was like my appearance as well. I, I don't know what it was. I just, for some reason, my confidence just dropped in every aspect of life. I became a bit of an introvert at that point in life, whereas school, I was an extrovert. I was relatively popular, inverted commas, if you want to put it like that. And then two years later, I was just kind of a shell of myself. I don't know what it was. Like I said, my confidence just took a massive hit. Yeah, on top of that, the stress of all your A-level exams and it's just building up and I was failing every time. Every time I resat an exam or whatever, I was just failing. And I was just, I was putting so much pressure on myself as well. And it was, it was uh, yeah, it's a difficult period. We get to the end of A-levels now. You wanted to go to Bristol University, but you didn't get the grades to get in. Same, I didn't get the grades to get in either. That was my first. And you had to go through clearing, which for anyone who doesn't know what that is, is one of the most stressful things any young person will ever go through. Tell the listeners about your experience of clearing and the outcome it had in the end. Yeah, so I didn't get to Bristol, which in hindsight, man, is the best thing that happened to me, honestly, because initially, like, I was distraught because because I was an introvert at that point um, and I wasn't confident in myself or whatever. I didn't want to leave my comfort zone of home. I didn't want to leave home. I didn't want to go meet new people. I didn't want to go live by myself because I couldn't even at that point really look after my own self, my own mental self. So I didn't want to go out and put myself completely out of my comfort zone. But um, I had to, like, unless I wanted to resick another year at sixth form, which I didn't want to do. My secondary uni, fallback uni, was Cardiff. And at that time, I hadn't been to the university. I don't know what it looked like. I had no idea about it. I just put it down because it was closer to home. So, for, yeah, if I didn't get Bristol, at least I'm still kind of close to home. So, yeah, I, I got into Cardiff. Well, basically, I didn't get the grades to get into Cardiff either. They let me in, luckily. And I was put into halls where it was all the rejects, pretty much. Everyone who didn't get their first choice was put into these halls. Yeah, it, it was a struggle. Again, that affected me quite heavily mentally, leaving home at that point. Like I said, in hindsight, it is the best thing that happened to me because I met loads of great people, especially Ags. Like, shout out to Dan. Like, do you know what I mean? He's one of my boys now. And yeah, I met so many great people from there, which I still keep in touch with all the time. Do you know what I mean? Still meet up even though we can at the moment of lockdown but that was a difficult period. Those few months as a fresher like you said in the reject halls in inverted commas weren't the glitz glamour and horrendous amounts of drinks and drug 
that some people think it is or what other students like to portray it certainly wasn't my experience of freshers either because Sussex was my second choice and I had to go into some random house off campus for the first three months until I managed to get really lucky and swap with someone on campus why is it important do you think that people like us and people generally can portray that student experience is a bit more realistic and not the glitz and glamour that it sometimes is portrayed as? From my experience, the first couple of months of uni were a real struggle for me. I was even debating like, kicking it in the head and just calling it a day and coming home. Obviously, I wasn't in a great frame of mind moving there anyway. I, I wasn't excited. I was dreading it. I literally didn't want to go. got there and it took me ages to settle in. Obviously, with the new surroundings, new people. It took me ages to find a group that I fitted in. And because despite, if you meet me, I come across as quite confident or I can chat quite easily, I can hold a conversation. The reality is I'm actually, I'm quite shy and people probably don't know that about me, but like when I'm going into new social environments or meeting new people, I hate it. Before I, I build myself up, I work myself up, I'm like, shit, I need to meet new people. I need to try my hardest to hold a conversation or, or whatever. But yeah, I struggle and I still struggle with it now. So going into a new environment where I'm meeting all new people, I don't know anybody, and trying to fit into a group, it took me months and it was horrible because, like I said, at that point in time, I was a bit of an introvert and I didn't want to socialise, I didn't want to meet new people. I just wanted to just be in the comfort of my own home at that that point. That was a struggle, but I got there, do you know what I mean? After a couple of weeks, I think it was leading up to Christmas, um, I started settling in, as you do, you start meeting new people, confidence started building a little bit again then. Yeah, ultimately, I, I had a good time at you know, I had a really good time. It was a very difficult period to start with. You said to me off air that you've struggled with anxiety and overthinking and rumination. And it was really striking to me how similar our experiences were when it comes to that. For the listeners, do you want to explain what rumination and overthinking anxiety is and then how it affects you and your mental health? Yeah, so I'm a massive overthinker. Everything. It mostly occurs when I'm trying to go to sleep. When I'm trying to go to bed and you're just left with your own thoughts, you're trying to sleep and you just, my, my mind's just racing. It even gets as stupid as uh, I try and go to sleep and I'll just, I'll remember some sort of, some dead joke that I told when I was 10 and I offended somebody with this dead joke. <laughs> and I'm like, oh shit. And all of a sudden I'm concerned. I'm like, oh man, I wonder what that person's like. Do you know what I mean? And all of a sudden I'm like sweating. I'm like, by this fucking dead joke that I told and like 15 years ago, 16 years ago. And it's as silly as that. It's small things like that. And then when I do have a lot on my mind, like work or whatever, money, whatever it is, trying to sleep is a borderline insomniac. I've always had problems sleeping. Even from a child, and my mum and dad told me that even growing up as a child, sleeping, I was a devil child, they called me, because I keep him up every single night. I just wouldn't sleep, never would sleep. And to this day, I, I always struggle sleeping. Obviously, when I was a kid, obviously, I didn't have these mental issues because I didn't, I wasn't, over, well, I don't know, I wasn't overthinking. I mean, was I overthinking? I didn't have a dummy? I don't know. Like, you don't know. <laughs> I've always struggled sleeping. I attribute that to overthinking. It's, I overthink every situation. Again, I think that comes back to, like, me entering new social situations i overthink everything oh what's this person going to think about me even still i at times still have low self-esteem i'm concerned about what people think about me what impression i'm going to make and that it it boils up in it uh it crumbles me sometimes honestly i I still do struggle with it quite a lot to be fair you received counseling for your mental health after this how did it help you with your depression and anxiety and if so in what ways i received counseling yeah a lot of people don't know 
personally, and I don't discourage it at all, personally, I didn't find the counselling too helpful for me. I didn't, in, in all honesty, I didn't follow it through. I had one or two sessions. I know these things take time to bed in. So I, I di- maybe I didn't give it enough of a chance. For me, I guess my kind of way to overcome my mental issues at that time, and even to a certain degree now, like, I feel a lot better mentally. Currently, I'm in a pretty good mental space at the moment. But when I do go through bad times or, or dark periods, it's having my mates around me. I, for me, that that's the best thing for me. It's having my mates around. And even if they don't know I'm going through some sort of mental issue or, or, or whatever, just being able to go around a mate's house or just go out or, or whatever. Yeah, that, that's always been good for me. And that's always been good for my mental health because it takes my mind off everything. You have a laugh or whatever. And it, it might be a short-term fix. I don't know, but... For me, that's what helps me get through. It's just taking your mind off things. Things like on an evening, I'll just jump on the PlayStation and chat to my mates or whatever because it takes my mind off things. For me, it's escapism techniques that works for me. Yeah, some people might see that as a short-term fix because you're kind of just masking the problem. But I think ultimately over time, it, it does help me. Towards the end of your degree, you started to have some anxiety about job opportunities and the pathway your degree might have taken you on. Why was that? And how did that rumination about your prospects affect you and your mental health? Throughout uni, so obviously I alluded to the first couple of months of uni where I was in a bad place. But university in general was pretty good for me mentally. I said, I'm surrounded by all my boys all day, every day. And I love that. You know what I mean? Like I said, like it was a good way for me. And it's escapism. I'm always around my mates. So it's great. So mentally throughout university, I was pretty good. And then it comes back to you leave uni, I come back home. You're back home with your parents, which is, yeah, not great anyway, because you've had such a good time for so many years. And then all of a sudden you're just kind of, you're back with your parents, which which isn't good. And then throughout my degree as well, I realised it it wasn't what I really wanted to do. I've done biochemistry, which is quite a niche degree. So trying to find job opportunities is quite difficult, especially Bristol. Like Bristol, there's, there's nothing and I guess it boils back to me not wanting to leave my comfort zone because I was in Bristol. I didn't want to move city to find a new job because, again, I don't, don't want to meet new people. It's not that like I don't want to meet new people. I just don't want to put myself through meeting new people because I struggle in those situations, at least initially. So I kind of like, yeah, filtered myself for just jobs in Bristol and, and there was nothing available. So I started working at a gym, which is all right. Crap money, like really bad money, absolute bare minimum. And I was working there for ages. Like, despite it, it was okay. But at this point, I'm like, well, I need, I, I always set myself goals. So I, I set myself high goals and I've, I've always wanted to achieve big. So I was like, I'm stuck here. I'm stuck here in the right at the moment. There's nothing related to do with my degree in terms of jobs in Bristol. What can I do? What can I do? Eventually, I managed to find something. But it took me years. It must have took me about two and a half years to actually find something that I was relatively okay with. I did find a job in the lab, but like I said, I wanted to get out of the lab. I found out through uni that I didn't really want to work in a lab, but it was what it was at that, at that time. Yeah, I was just struggling because, like I said, I was putting so much pressure on myself, which in hindsight isn't good. You just give yourself a break sometimes. I just couldn't find a job that I wanted. I've floated between, well, luckily I'm in a job that I like now, but prior to that, I think I've fluctuated between four or five jobs, just trying to find something that I could find my feet and something that I could find progression in as well and then I found, well yeah I did find a job I, I was working in a lab and I was enjoying it got made redundant which wasn't great I remember it was the day before we broke up for Christmas and we had a town hall so they set the whole company down 
And they said, oh, by the way, you're probably not going to come back to a job after Christmas. And I'm like, okay, cool, decent. Like, that's, that's exactly what you want to hear before Christmas. Luckily, we did. We, we stayed on for, I think it's another three, four months. But in that time, I was like, right, let's move away from the lab. I was like, what, what can I do? So basically, I was applying to anything. I wanted to get into engineering. Also, except my, my degree is very niche. So I thought there's absolutely no chance unless I do some sort of MVQ or some sort of apprenticeship or whatever. Get some some qualification in engineering. But luckily, I've, I've managed to find a job in engineering. And I've enjoyed it. Yeah, I've been working there a year and a half now. And I think that for me, mentally, has been really good for me because I'm settled in a job now. And I see myself progressing there and doing well there for the coming future. Given how you said to me off air that when you were working in cosmetics and you were having this really long commute, that you felt like a failure in life. And now you've managed to secure yourself a new job, which is a lot better for your work-life balance. You've made some other really positive changes. Who's the Kyle we meet here as opposed to the one who was 16, 17, 18, maybe even 21, who was struggling with anxiety and his mental health? Yeah, personally, myself, I did see myself as a failure. I was in a rut again. I, I felt awful, man. I actually didn't feel good at all mentally. And that's no disrespect to people working in that field or whatever. But for me personally, I just I had a banger. I had um, a Clio, which was like 20 years old. It used to break down left, right and centre. And I had to commute to Trowbridge from Bristol because that was the, the closest place I could find a job. So that was like an hour commute every day. I literally would spend about 150 quid a month on repairs for that car because it was just shite. It was just an absolute tin pot. So that financially was killing me because I wasn't on great money. And all my money was going into the car just to commute to work. And I spent a fortune on petrol. I thought, right, so I'm working at the moment just to fund my petrol to go to work. I can't even do anything. I literally can't do anything. I was putting so much pressure on myself that I just kind of imploded a little bit. And nobody really knows that. And I had external things going on in my life, which I won't go into too much detail. It was a difficult period for me. And I think a couple of my close mates, I think, they kind of knew it was a, a struggle for me in, in that period. But kind of disclaimer, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good these days. Obviously, you do have those days and I still start suffer with anxiety every day, probably. But it's just, yeah, working around it and dealing with it, really. Overall, I'm in a better mental space now. Well, 100% better than I was two years ago. That's probably yeah, the hardest part, I think, in my life. And if you could go back, knowing what you do now, and give some advice or some tips to that 16, 14, 18-year-old Kyle. What do you think you would say to him? Don't put so much pressure on yourself, man. That's the one thing this... It's my own downfall, is I, I'm always putting pressure on myself to achieve to in everything in life. And because I put so much pressure on myself, when I don't achieve it, I kick myself for it. Do you know what I mean? I can't stand myself for failing or, or not meeting it. And it's so bad for my mental health because I just get stuck in this cycle where... I was just beating myself up all the time because I'm not achieving what I, what I set out to do. I think, yeah, just go more easy on myself, I guess. Just take a break and just take life as it comes, you know what I mean? Like, you're not going to achieve everything you want overnight. It's going to take years and, you know what I mean, even decades. It, could, it just takes time. Even in the small things in life, take a step back sometimes. That's, that's what I tell myself. And don't beat myself up for not achieving. <laughs> We've come to the final topic of conversation on this pod, Kyle, and it's one I try and have with all my special guests, which is a general natter about our mental health. So firstly, and you can include the circumstances we're living in right now or exclude them, how would you say your mental health is at the moment, mate? It's pretty good. Yeah, it's a lot better than what it used to be. Yeah, 
feeling all right, I think. Obviously, lockdown isn't helping, <laughs> but it's not helping anyone, is it, really? It's, it's dead in it at the moment, lockdown. But it's one of those things we have to combat at the moment. You've spoken already about your experiences of anxiety, depression, rumination and overthinking. So what tools and methods do you use in your own life to improve your mental health or help you feel better? You know, which ones have you found that have worked and maybe which ones that haven't? Making use of my time. When I have downtime is when I start overthinking. That's why trying to sleep is awful because there's not much you can do but try to sleep at that point. In terms of boredom and that, just trying to find, just trying to make up the time, whether it's meeting out of mates, jumping on the PlayStation, painting, whatever. That's the tools I use just so I don't start overthinking about things that I don't even need to think about or concern myself with or worry about. That's what I use. Just talk me through the moment when you had that first conversation with someone about your mental health. You know, who was it with? What impact did it have? And looking back, did it feel like a big moment for you to do that? Or did it feel quite normalised and insignificant? I felt weird. To be honest, as a lot of men do, you bottle up your feelings and you don't really want to open up. So I didn't open up to any of my mates. I mean, I spoke to a couple of my mates about it, that I'm, I might feel a bit shit or whatever, but I never went into depth, didn't feel comfortable. So the first person I told was my mum. And even then, I just felt, I don't know what it was. I just felt uncomfortable telling her how I felt, you know what I mean? Yeah, it wasn't nice, but at the same time, and this is what, we need to kind of push for is it's good to talk about your feelings man like it's massive because as they say it like a problem half is a problem shared is a problem half so just talking to somebody about what i'm going through what i'm experiencing is just a weight off your shoulders and what triggers do you have that affect your mental health either positively or negatively so for example it could be sounds sensations social environments like you mentioned earlier you know what can you tell me here so the negative trigger for me is stress. I stress about a lot of things. I guess, yeah, boys, but down to my overthinking, man. But yeah, stress, that's a massive negative trigger for me. Once I'm stressed, I get myself worked up in all kinds of ways. Yeah, and I've alluded to my positive triggers. Just, just keep my mind active. Keep myself concentrated on something. Keep myself busy. That's how I deal with things. And how do you support friends in your own social group who may have mental health issues themselves or maybe just going through a poor period of mental health, whether that be men or women? Oh, man, I'm always there to support, man. Like, people who know me, if anybody's going through any shit in their life, man, they can always contact me. I'll, I'll be, even if they're not even close to me, like, even if it's just somebody random and they just want to just confide in me for whatever reason, like, I'm always happy to provide support, man. Like, it pleases me to know that I'm, I'm helping somebody, whether yeah, mentally or whatever, whatever aspect of their life, man. Toxic masculinity is something we try and break down a lot on this pod, Kyle. For you, mate, what does it mean to you? How do you think we tackle it? And what examples of it can you share with the listeners? Yeah, so toxic masculinity, I mean, it's that stereotype, isn't it, where you're a bloke, man. You shouldn't, it's not you shouldn't, but you feel conscious to open up about your, how you're feeling and, and, and your emotions and, and your mental state. Because a lot of men feel that they're less of a man if they open up with their emotions and state. Yeah, look, I'm really struggling mentally here. I'm, I'm, I'm upset or I'm depressed or I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with anxiety. But, man, it's, it's all superficial, man. Like, people need to open up, especially men. Like, personally, I think it's stronger for men to open up and talk about it. Because it's such a barrier for men to talk about it. So it takes strength to open up. And speak to somebody of, of how you're feeling. Like I said, when I um, first opened up that conversation with my mum, like that took a lot of strength for me to talk about how I was feeling. Because, yeah, it was awkward initially. But, yeah, so I felt a lot better for it. And I encourage, yeah, if 
men are going through any mental problems, they should definitely talk about it, whether it's with their, their parents or their other house or mates or professionalists. Yeah, it just needs, I, think, I think it needs to be done and it alleviates a lot of pressure on a lot of people. I talk a lot on this pod as well, mate, about positive masculinity. And hopefully in a few years, positive masculinity will just be masculinity. But for you, what are some of the qualities you think a man should exude to be described as positively masculine? Is it, for example, self-confidence? Is it empathy and supporting others? Is it emotional intelligence? What can you tell me here? I guess just be confident in who you are and don't let anybody, like I said, I guess it comes back to me painting or whatever, be confident in who you are. Don't be afraid to open up. If that's something you love, go and strive for it, man. You shouldn't ever let anybody put you down or tell you not to or if you fall into a stereotype or whatever, then just take yourself out of it. Do what you love, man. And if you are struggling in life, don't be afraid to open up and talk to somebody. And just finally, mate, what more do we have to do to ensure men from all backgrounds feel comfortable and safe in opening up about their mental health issues or their mental health if they want to? Just keep about it. Just keep. So basically, there's a lot of awareness around mental health these days. So if somebody's struggling at the moment, it's not the end. It's not the end of the world, man. As life as it, as it is, just seek help and you'll overcome it, man. It won't happen overnight, but there are techniques and tools and things out there that there's a lot of support out there now, which will help you if you are feeling a bit down. And you should never be afraid to talk about your emotions or, or how you're feeling. So yeah, I think continue raising awareness, which I know you're you're doing very well at the moment. So big shout out to you, man. Like, and hence why you're getting me on this this podcast because it is raising awareness, and it's it's okay to not be okay. Well, I think that's all we've got time for on this episode of the Just Checking In podcast. I want to say a big thank you to my boy Kyle for being my special guest on this episode's pod and for letting me check in with him. As always, thank you to everyone who's tuned in. Remember, if you've liked what you've heard, please give this a share on all the usual social media channels. Tell your friends or work colleagues about it. Or if you're feeling generous, please write us a review and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It will really help us out. We hope to check in with you again very soon. And remember, it is always okay to vent. <laughs>